Power Users, Episode 185, Workflows with Dave Hamilton. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie Floyd, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there, David. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. I know you've got a little bit of a cold. I can hear it in your voice. Yeah, the the audio is not going to be great this week, but uh, the content will surely make up for it. Yeah, and we've got a guest with us today, one of my very favorite people in the Mac community, Dave Hamilton from the Mac Observer, Mac Geekab, Macworld All-Star Band, and a bunch of other stuff that I love. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, if you haven't met Dave, you need to. If you're going to be, I guess this show is going out right after MacWorld. So hopefully you just met Dave. Super guy, right? I think so. Hey, right. I yeah, of course. Yeah, Dave, and, I don't I don't know if I told you this, but you may be one of the reasons that I got into podcasting. Because the Mac Geek Gab was one of the very first podcasts that I ever subscribed to and listened to. Uh, yeah, you and, and John were one of the early pioneers out there in, in Mac podcasting. I know your your show numbers are up in like the, what are you in the 500? No, you're higher than that now because I was just no, listening to you. we're almost at 500. You're almost, got, at, yeah, you were yeah. trying to coordinate 500 for Macworld, but um, years you've been, you've been going on, but, um, but and, thank and, you. And frankly, our listeners should check out the Mac Geek app because your show is, is has a lot of parody with ours. You don't spend time talking about news and current events, but you solve specific problems for users. I, I think it's a great show, too. And, and thank you for bringing that to the community. Thanks. It's a pleasure. And and yeah, I, I, I totally agree. There's a there's a complimentary aspect to what what you guys do with what we do. And it's it's it all fits in well together. It's what, what I, I love that you guys take things so deep. And, uh, and it's great. It's a, a you know, it's, I, I suppose it's fair to say we're mutual fans. Well, thank and, you. uh, and, and the dynamic between you and your co-host, John F. Braun is F. fantastic. Braun. John F. Braun. The very first time I met him, he introduced himself to me as John F. Braun. And I realized it was for real. <laughs> yeah. Everything <laughs> you see or hear from that guy is for real. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, go check out Mac Geek Gab. But right now, what we wanted to talk to Dave about is uh, as all the stuff he does. Because Dave, if you didn't know, is a jack of all traits. He um, basically, he's one of the, you know, Dave, I don't know your exact relationship to the Mac Observer, but you've got your, your name all over that thing. Grand you, Puba. Yeah. yeah is that like- the... I co-founded it with Brian Chaffin back in 1998, at December, late December of 1998. Uh, yeah, because we, everybody was getting on the bandwagon then with Apple products, right? Right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was uh, boy, howdy. Yep. It was, you, could, you just couldn't, you know, you couldn't turn around without seeing a new Apple product somewhere. That's right. Yeah. So this this website, the MacObserver.com, is a great news site and, and lots of other great content. And Dave is, is the co-founder of it. And then you also are the co-host, as we've talked about, of the Mac Geek Gab. And you're also a professional musician at the same time. Yeah, often, often too much at the same time. But yes, that's right. Yeah, and and from and from knowing you and talking to you, you're also a really great and active dad with your family. And I hear all the great stuff you're doing with your family. So I I I feel you, Dave. I know how hard it is to keep all this stuff rolling. And uh, we want to talk to you about how you make that happen. Well, that's that. I'm glad. Here I am. Here we go. 
So tell us a little bit about the, the maybe a little bit about the history, but, uh, you know, the Mac Observer is, you know, one of the daily Mac news sites that, that I check, you know, and it's a go-to source for, for my news. And, and you've got a true news operation there. You know, you guys cover the keynotes. You guys cover whenever there's announcements. I know I, I checked it this morning. There was a little bit of breaking news, and we're pre-recording this show, so it's, it's old news by now, so I won't mention it. Um, but, but you guys are out there. You, you've got the stories, and then you've got this, this great slew of writers who um, do great content pieces. Some of them are, um, you know, kind of short pieces. Some of them are, are longer and more in-depth research pieces. H- how do you run a site like the Mac Observer? I mean, give us a little bit of a peek behind the scenes of, of how something like that gets started and how it works on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, so it got started because Brian was writing for a website called Webintosh um, back before 1998. And then Dan Hughes, if I've got his name right, and I apologize for all the things I will misremember tonight because it seems my brain's not working. But uh, I'm pretty sure it was Dan uh, that uh, wanted to sell Webintosh. And so Brian came to me and we put together some money and we bought Webintosh from Dan. And it was it was actually there's a there's a crazy story in there about how as we went through what I now know is called due diligence, uh, but didn't at the time. Uh, we found out that Dan didn't own webintosh.com, the domain, so that that made the purchase an interesting thing, and of course a whole lot cheaper than than uh, than we thought. But but we we got it, and that's why we changed the name because we weren't going to build a website on a domain that we didn't own. Um, and and initially it was just Brian. Um, well, it was just Brian working full time on it, and then um, we had a, a quite a few contributing editors that sort of came over from Webintosh and and folks that Brian had known in the in the community just from writing, and and it sort of grew from there uh, very organically. Uh, our first hire was actually a guy named Greg Snyder uh, to do sales for us, and then that's what spun off Backbeat Media was um, Greg and Brian and I initially. Uh, but then, then we started hiring writers and, and so now we're a virtual company. Uh, we have not been a virtual company at times. We've actually had an office down in, in Austin, Texas. Uh, but, but now, and for the last eight years or more, uh, we've been a virtual company. Uh, we've got guys in California, Brian's in California. We've got a couple of guys in Colorado, Jeff Gamut and John Martellero. Uh, they work full time for us. And then there's a slew of, uh, great contributors that we have um, to just, you know, kind of work on a contractor basis for us when they're available. And that's how we do it. Top level anyway. Now, did you build or did you have contract out and have someone else build for you uh, originally? And then I'm sure it's expanded over years, all of the, the back end, because, you know, when you were doing this back in 98, 99, and even the early 2000s, blogging really wasn't a thing. I mean, I remember back during that time frame. I was doing kind of a, a online journal as, as as part of an educational thing that I was doing, and and there was no real blogging platform back then. No, there was there wasn't. In fact, the the word weblog didn't had not entered the vernacular. It, it didn't exist. So there was one content management system uh, that was commercially available, and funnily enough, uh, it too was based in Austin, uh, about two miles from my house, and it was a company called Vignette. Vignette cost about 150 grand to buy at the time, which is, which is flabbergasting considering now you can just go download WordPress for free. Right. Um, And WordPress is way better than what Vignette was at the time. But uh, so we went and talked to him and, and sort of explained, look, this is what we do. 
you know, we're the type of people you want to work with, but your pricing structure doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And we were pretty, you know, frank about our revenues and stuff with them. Like, look, you know what? We're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes, but you have what a lot of people like us need. And they're like, yeah, well, it's 150 grand. Like, yeah, great. Okay. Good luck with that. And, um, and so we, we used, we used a piece of software called go live for a while and Brian managed the Mac observer with go live. And so nothing was automated it, it, on the server side, it was all uploaded from go live and you could, you could do all these things and have like templates and stuff that would update on all the pages. But it was many times a day he would upload the entire site, uh, to the server, which I, sounds very archaic. I know. I remember Adobe go live. Yep. Yeah. That's, and that, then, that's back in the days where we thought we could read the whole internet. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you could, I mean, <laughs> so, uh, so that, that's how it went for a while. And then, um, you know, it's funny how life works. Um, our our daughter, which was our first child, was born in early December, and so uh, of of 1999. And so I decided, well, I won't go to MacWorld um, in in 2000 because it was you know right after uh, you know it would have been three weeks, four weeks after she was born. So I said to the team, I'll be the one that stays home and mans the fort. And publishes the site while you guys are, you know, out uh, meeting with people and, and doing all that stuff. And uh, and so I went to Brian's house and, uh, you know, sometime before Thanksgiving that year. And he sort of trained me up on on how the site was managed. And I was just like appalled. The, the, my, my programmer brain was like, there's no way that we can run things like this. This is there's too much opportunity for human error. And I'm not going to do this. There's too much work. And uh, so the week between... Christmas and New Year's that year, I coded in PHP and MySQL, which was a relatively new language to me, but but it's a p- fairly straightforward language. I coded what what was the beginnings of our our own content management system, and we ran with that. It it expanded quite a bit uh, over the time, and other people added to it, and it became this huge spaghetti mess. Uh, and the spaghetti is my fault. The, the the people that we had are much better coders than me, but um, but they all had to deal with my 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 stuff. So, uh, so we had that until uh, probably about four or five years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that, uh, Steven Swift was working with us and he convinced me to move to expression engine and, and expression engines. Okay. It's, um, you know, you trade one thing for another. We now have the ability to leverage all this work that other people have done for add-ons, but we don't have the exact system we would have built for ourselves. Right. It's that, you know, that, that constant sort of thing that you get when you, get somebody else's system, but it, but it works very well for us. And, uh, so it, that, it seems, that's, that's where we are. it seems, it seems to me like that though, that all has really progressed a lot in the last five years. Oh yeah. And I mean, the content management systems for a small individual up to a big, big company, there's really good and practical solutions out there for just about everybody at this point. And, and you, do, you shouldn't have to roll your own at this point. No, you shouldn't. And, and, and to your point, it, the same solution often can be used for the, you know, individual blogger that has 10 readers a month to the person that's serving, you know, 100 million readers a month. I mean, the same engine just on better hardware or more powerful hardware um, can do yeah. it. But, yeah, I, you know, we, we internally we do talk about uh, rolling our own again. Uh, it's, it's not off the radar for us, but uh, we probably won't do it. Um, but I, I'll never say never. So, and and how how does all of this you know work when you when you pull back the curtain and 
and and I mean that very very big picture. Uh, I'm I'm assuming you all have servers in in multiple areas that that host this. You're you're not hosting this in in TMO Towers East, are you? No, <laughs> no. We we never host. Well, when we had our first office in Austin, uh, Brian and I met because of a, a company that uh, that I had had an interest in, and then I had just sold my interest right as Brian and I met. Uh, a company called Computer Nerds, and I'm still friends friends with the owner down there. And it was sort of a pre Geek Squad uh, kind of thing. We had people out in the field, and you know, going and fixing people's printers and all that stuff. So we leased some, we sublet uh, uh, basically one office from them, and we did for for a short period of time. Uh, the Mac Observer was run off of a server that that we owned and sat in that office, and and then. From there, we sort of moved on to various different hosting companies. Pair was a big one. Digital Nation, uh, which was one of Bruce Waldack's companies, was another one that was in there for a while for us. Um, but we've been with Servant for a while. They're down in uh, right near May East, uh, where the, you know that whole interchange happens in Virginia, the kind of the D.C. area. And uh, so we've got a, a server, a kind of our own little server cluster there on their, uh, on their network. And it, it, they've been great. They've been great. So, yeah, no, we we don't keep it here. <laughs> that would be that would be bad with the, with the with the way my power goes out around here. That would be a really bad idea. Dave's and power a, never goes out. Yeah, I'm, my power is perfect. Yeah, he, he doesn't have, have surge protectors. <laughs> oh, we should talk about that, dude. I, yeah. I live in California. We why why would I need that? You never have brownouts or anything in uh, the summer when everybody's running their air conditioners down there. I, I had one once. I had one oh. once. Okay. I just every time this subject comes up, there's like a whole fleet of people across the world that right. start firing up emails at me. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to get one at some point. Well, you know, why I want to get one because I have why? my Sonos now. I was looking oh. at my Sonos the other night. I'm like, what if something happened to my Sonos? I would be so sad. Gosh, you know what? You just made me realize a huge flaw in my system here because I have every, I say that I have every piece of electronics that I care about on a surge protector. With the exception of nearly every Sonos unit I own. Uh oh. Yeah. That's well, okay. So I, you know, I have surge protectors on my. Yeah. I guess. Now, I'm okay now are you for talking that. these little plastic seven ninety nine things that you picked up at no. Walmart? Because that doesn't no. count. I used the wrong term, and I. Yeah. I no. And I was, I, I was I was talking to David because I was saying those don't count. I I know Dave's got hooked up. Yeah, have well, you yeah, ever noticed UPSs battery backups? Yeah. Have you ever noticed how sometimes Katie just has disdain in her voice? <laughs> It That's happens. the cold. That's totally the cold, Dave. Yeah. No, I'm I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> so okay, so I I have um you know I'll say on average like twenty dollars surge protectors that I bought at Best Buy at some point. Am I am I just totally screwed? You you overpaid by thirteen dollars. That's right. Yeah, they're they're worth seven dollars. Okay. Although although some of those twenty dollars surge protectors come with a you know typically about twenty five thousand dollars worth of insurance on whatever you plug into them, and so you may have bought a thirteen dollar uh, you may have paid a thirteen dollar premium for an insurance policy. Okay. Good so, luck collecting. So but but going back to Katie's disdain, was that a mistake? Should I be buying something really really fancy? I mean, the surge process. A surge suppressor is a surge suppressor, right? Yeah, no, that's a uh, good point because you, you probably, I know I'm a, I'm a big fan of these universal power supply battery backups and I've got them on, on I, I've got four in my house, but I probably don't need everything plugged into a battery backup. So it, what's the middle road of, of getting, is, is there a middle road? Well, it, it, and, and I mean, I think 
David's point about I live in Southern California, what would I need one of those for is valid. It, it really depends on what you have to deal with. There's no way that any of us are going to spend the money. And well, that most of us I'll say are going to spend the money in our homes to protect against every type of electrical disaster. I'm not even going to count like water and all that other stuff. Right. But you know, it, there, there are things that can happen that just go so far outside the realm of what would typically, or even, you know, rarely happen in your area that you just wouldn't deal with it. And, and David for he, for you, that's, that may be, you know, the brownouts, you said you've had one, I don't know how long you've lived there, but you know, I think you've lived there most of your life. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, do you want to, do you want to go crazy to protect against that? I I would, but only because, uh, I've seen the damage And, and I'll go back to Austin. So this time of year, starting in about two weeks, uh, we would have lightning storms every day. In fact, when we, we moved to Austin on April 1st, um, of, of 1995 and Lisa and I were petrified every night. We, we got to our house. The only thing we had was a TV. We didn't even have a couch cause we were waiting for all our stuff to come. And, uh, we'd sit and watch Letterman and across the screen at the bottom every night would be these lightning and tornado warnings. It was like, what have we moved into here? This is crazy. And, uh, and sure enough, there'd be lightning storms. And then as the years went on and we started computer nerds, there would be these lightning storms and then we would come in and there would be 10 times the phone messages in the morning that, that we would normally have. And we'd call these people back and they'd say, yeah, I can't turn my computer on. Like, right. Got it. Yeah. Uh, you need a new power supply. You know, how do you know that from there? Well, you know, we've done this before. So, and most of the time that was the correct diagnosis. So surges that you get during lightning storms will blow up uh, power supplies. More often they'll blow up DC stuff like modems, uh, cable modems, uh, the cable TV, anything that's that's direct current, your, your telephone line, your Ethernet cables, and your coax cables. Uh, where your power, like your CPUs, can get damaged, more frequently they get damaged from what, what are called brownouts, where the power flickers not for 10 minutes, but for a tenth of a second. And and your surge protector is not going to protect you against that uh, because it doesn't have the power to compensate while the, you know, while the, the line is out. So if the line's out for half a second and comes back, pow, you know, that's what blows things up. It's a surge, but it's only a surge back up to what you, what you had prior. So it's, it's a surge that, su- suppressor is not going to catch that. It's not going to catch it. No. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, well, yeah. I'm, I'm largely on my laptop anymore, so. Well, and Once that has its own built-in battery backup. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It always seems, Dave, that you uh, live in places that are like right on the edge of end of days. I mean, I, I listened to you in your podcast and you said, I think once there was like a lightning strike on the ground between your house and your workspace. Yeah. Is that right? It is. It, my, my office is a separate building on the property here. It has a separate electrical feed to it. We pay two electric bills. Um, but the previous, the previous owners had built this building, uh, where my office is and they ran two coax and two cat five direct burial cables between the house and the office, Sweet. which is great. So yeah. I can, yeah, one internet connection, you know, I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but I do have to re I have learned the hard way how to manage, um, both DC and AC from, from that standpoint. And, and the issue is if you have lightning that hits the ground and you have, uh, direct burial cables there, you darn well better be surge protected on both ends of that DC cable because that's going to blow everything up. And it has crazy. That's crazy to me. 
I grew up in Southern California. All this stuff is like, it's so weird to me. We we don't have any of those problems. Right. Well, I, the weather I, doesn't I do change it. enough there. Right. I mean, that's what it is. Is you know, well, we go occasionally, the change. occasionally we get big cracks in the grounds and our houses fall in them. Mm. But other than that, different issues. Surge protector is not going to protect you against that either. Yeah. See, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, how do you? I'm so. I'm against? so. Br- go ahead. I, I could not live anywhere else. I'm pretty sure I'm ruined. Yeah. No, you probably yeah. are. Listen, when when I brought the family out and we uh, took a week vacation and just stayed in San Diego, um, the family's ready to move. They're like, this is stupid where we live. You know, we can live anywhere. We we should live where the weather's better and, and it's not like this. So I, I yeah. can't necessarily disagree. So. so so how do you protect against the D.C. surges? Because I know we've all probably got these UPS units. Um under our desk, but that's not going to do anything for the DC surge. Well, it might if your UPS unit has an Ethernet filter on it or yeah, a coax filter. Right. Yeah, and you should use those, but but you've got to use them intelligently. Coax filters um, are pretty safe. Your cable company will tell you you they they will not support you using a cable modem on them, and the only reason is it degrades your signal a little bit. It it, it is a filter, and so it drops about one maybe one and a half decibels worth of um, worth of signal. So if you're okay. right on the edge, that can that can be a problem for your cable modem getting or maintaining a connection. But um, but typically for most folks, it's 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 not. Uh, and and it and it is the right thing to do. With Ethernet, you need to make sure that you know whether your surge protector offers uh, 100 megabit or gigabit Ethernet, and whether or not that matters to you, depending on where you kind of where you have it in the chain. I I recommend having coax protection coming into your cable modem and ethernet protection coming out of it. And that sounds like double protection and it is, and it works. Yeah, I get yeah, it. That makes sense. Cause if it gets blown going in, you've got one more barrier for it coming out before it basically gets all your stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and you know, good. if you, if your surge protector doesn't have that stuff in it, you can buy standalone coax or ethernet uh, uh, protectors. And they're like, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 bucks a piece. Uh, so it, it's out there. Good deal. Yeah. Uh, well, getting back to the Mac server, we got, we got off on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, how how do you you know? So we talked a little about the technicalities of it, but but how do you manage a, a staff that's that's all virtual? And how do you hand out assignments? And how do you know who's on first and who's working on this? And what story is going to get posted? And that this this thing is actually going to get covered? And um and and what's going on on any given day? And that you don't have you know, 20 posts come out on Monday, but then no content on Tuesday. Right. Yeah. That, that it is a trick. Um, we, these days we live in a Skype room, um, once a day, typically once a day, sometimes more, uh, we'll get together and actually have a, a interactive call where we're speaking to each other. Um, but for the most part, it, we type back and forth at each other in the Skype room and, uh, and that, that allows people, and, and then we'll have little one-offs, you, you know, if two people need to, to, chat they just chat it's you know like like any office uh but but skype these days is the kind of the the you know the glue that holds it together and i i hate i hate meetings for the sake of meetings because they just burn so many man hours um you know if you've got five people in a meeting for a half hour you just killed two and a half hours worth of time uh, that you could have been doing something else with but with us not being in the same offices it's really important for us all to just remember sort of at our core that we're not working alone, that there are other people there and we are working as a team. So we do get together every day 
or every weekday, uh, usually for 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes it goes 45 minutes if there's, you know, something to talk about. Maybe once a week that'll happen. But for the most part, it's a quick little 10 minute sync up. We talked about, you know, we'll talk about what we did the afternoon before, what we did that morning, what we're going to do that afternoon. And then uh, and then off we go and we do it. Um, it's interesting to hear that you're doing this on Skype. We've had, you know, uh, other guests like some people from Macworld and uh, and different people who have these remote offices and nobody has ever said they're using Skype for this. Um why why is it that you decided to use Skype? Because it works so well with pretty much everyone's firewall. Uh it's got its yeah. quirks. You, you know, their user interface is it we, we, you know, you just give up on that. Uh but, well, maybe next week it'll be different. You never know, right? Yeah. Well, as a beta tester, you know, and sometimes <laughs> it's better not to know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but but that one point you make is is a good one. Skype just works on on any computer. I don't know how they've pulled it off. It's but, magic, right? Well, you know where Skype started, right? It was the BitTorrent guys, uh, not BitTorrent. Oh, it's too. Uh, um, they, what, what, uh, Nutella. It was the Nutella guys, right? And they were developing Nutella, this peer-to-peer file-sharing thing. And they were in three different countries. And they were paying a fortune for long distance. And so they said, well, you know, we understand this peer-to-peer thing. Can we do, you know, can we get, get real-time voice going over this? And so they did. They built it to, to, to solve a problem. Yeah. And, uh, it's all ones and zeros, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. But the trick is, you know, piercing and, and, and traversing different firewalls, depending on what ports are available. And it just does it. Um, I I like to tell the story and I hopefully haven't gotten anybody in trouble over this, but um, I have a friend who worked for a fortune. Well, we'll say a fortune 50 company. It's probably more like a fortune five company, but uh, he was in the boardroom and, and he and I Skype each other. Uh, at the time we were Skyping each other pretty, reg- pretty regularly. And he, he texted me or on Skype at one point and he said, uh, answer, but don't say anything. I'm like, okay. And the rings and I answer and he says, uh, tap on your microphone. I'm like, okay. He's like, great. He says, can you hear background noise? I said, yeah. And so he hangs up and later on I asked him, I said, what's going on? He says, Oh, I was in the boardroom. Now they said that the firewalls there wouldn't let anything in or out. And I just wanted to see if Skype was able to, to, you know, navigate around that. And it was, I mean, it was, this, it was, there was no fanfare. It just worked. So yeah. now that Microsoft's in charge, that may go away though. Right. Cause Microsoft, yeah. you know, has, has, uh, they, they like to be friendly with the enterprise. And so, and anyway, yeah, it just, works. they've got other, yeah, they've got other directions for this, this type of property. Right? That's right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear that you're you're getting all your work done in though. That because I feel like there's a hole right now for these remote workplaces, and there's not really a good solution. Maybe you know I know Thirty Seven Signals was doing stuff, but now they've kind of more focused just on their uh, their flagship. What is it? Um, Basecamp. Basecamp. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems to me like for the for the smaller size companies with remote workers that there should be a product out there that takes better care of them. And I haven't seen one yet. No. And I mean, there's, there's things like, um, you, you know, uh, Slack and fleep.io, but, but those are all just chat, you know, typing things. And, and they, there's some things they do that are way better than Skype. Like they work on mobile without killing your battery and, you know, things like that. But, uh, to, to get the, you know, instant, quick, easy voice conversation, 
Uh, there's nothing, you know, maybe Google Hangouts, but uh, I don't know. So it's that's a, a whole nother, that's a whole nother list of issues. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's not, you know, well, I mean, I was going to say it's not, it's not trivial to do this. Does it make sense to do it for a small company? But the Skype was a small company one day. They just happened to get sold a bunch. So Yeah. yeah. Well, kind of while we're on the Skype topic, uh, th- that's how we're doing this podcast. I, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk to you about your podcast, the Matt Geek Gab, because y- you have a, a really interesting workflow for recording that and and really recording it live to tape and, and immediately publishing it. And I want to talk a little bit about how that got started and, and how you prep for it and how you do that every week. But before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our exclusive sponsor for this episode. And that is our good friends over at Smile. And I want to talk about PDF Pen for Mac because it's tax time and we're probably getting about down to the wire if you're going to try to file on time here in the U.S. And PDF Pen has – I know taxes aren't a fun thing to talk about, but unfortunately something that we all have to deal with. And PDF Pen has just been an invaluable tool for me when trying to deal with taxes because thankfully I'm getting most of these documents electronically now or I'm immediately scanning them and converting them into electronic format if people need information from me, I've had to send out uh, W-2 forms, I think is what they are. I don't know what all the forms are, but I've had to send out forms to people who I've done work for so that they can pay me uh, and they can report everything. And, well, you know, I just don't want my social security number and all of that information floating around. So I can sign those forms using PDF pen because you can take a PDF and take your signature and smack it onto something. Uh, you can then encrypt the PDF and send it off and then either separately send the person a password or, or use a pre-agreed password that, that you've agreed on. And and boom, instead of just sending a an email PDF with all of your information on there, you're now sending an encrypted PDF that only the recipient can open. Once you get this information back, uh, I've been exchanging documents with my accountant, but you know maybe I didn't want all of my information out there. So PDF Pen has this great ability to OCR your documents, and that's optical character recognition. So your documents can actually become searchable, whether or not they were scanned in or whether they were PDFs that you created from other documents. And once the documents are OCR'd, you can do all kinds of things with them. You can correct the text. You can search for specific things. One of my favorites is you can even redact information. So I went through an entire 40-plus page tax return with all of the attachments and went searching for the first six digits of my Social Security number, and I redacted all of that information when I was sending the draft return off to my accountant to review. And boom, PDF pen in just a few seconds was able to go through, find all of that information, and redact my Social Security number all except the last four digits. And I scrolled through because I thought, wow, that did it kind of fast. I'm not sure that it really happened in the way that it did, but it did. You can save your PDFs in the cloud with uh, either Dropbox or with uh, iCloud, or they syncs up with Evernote, depending on how you want to store your PDFs. They'll sync up with their iOS apps, which David's going to talk to you a little bit about later. And if you need to, you can even export your documents into Word. So there's just a whole slew of things that you can do with both PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro for the Mac. Uh, you can download a free trial from Smile's website over at smilesoftware.com. So you can test drive them and see if they meet your needs. If you like them, you can buy PDF Pen for only $59.95 or PDF Pen Pro for $99.95. And thanks to our friends over at Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users. Hey, let's talk about Dave the podcaster a little bit because sure. I always hear these little angles uh, when, during your show. Uh, you know, 
basically because your recording background, I think, has something to do with it. You know, you're a musician and you've you work with this stuff a lot, but you've really got a nice setup with your podcast. Like you're able to do things live, and as Katie was saying, send your sh- you you mix your show while you record it, right? I do. Yeah, I, I know it's kind of crazy, but um, but it works for us. Uh, it, you know, when when we started the podcast, I two the two factors contributed to that. Number one was that I knew I didn't have the time. I knew that consistency of release schedule was paramount. I don't know why I knew this. Nobody told me this. In fact, podcasters were saying you do release whenever you want. Yeah, well, no, that's you're absolutely fine. right. But you you have to release, you know, we podcasters may lead charmed lives and be able to release and work whenever we want. But the rest of the world lives on a schedule. And and the reality is, of course, we podcasters live on schedules, too, because we have to live amongst the rest of the world. Um, Our kids go to school and we have, you know, various things happening. So, you know, you get into that rut of listening or routine, I should say, listening to, you know, Mac power users on Wednesday morning at the gym and Mac geek on your drive home on Thursday. And if you're driving home on Thursday and you don't have a Mac geek you're still driving home and you're still going to listen to something two weeks in a row. You don't have Mac geek Suddenly you're not listening to Mac geek anymore. You've got a new habit, right? So uh, that's a long way of saying that I knew consistency was important. So knowing that consistency was important, I knew I wouldn't regularly have time to obsessively post-produce a show. And if I was going to post-produce a show, I would do so obsessively and it would take me days and I would freak out over it and the show would never get out. So my rule was I need to figure out a workflow that gets me finished recording to published in 15 minutes or less. And obviously that means with a, we started as a 45 minute target. We go a little longer than that now, but, um, I obviously can't re-listen to the sh- a 45 minute show in 15 minutes. So and now can I just interject as yeah, a please. loving yeah, yeah. As, as a loving loving Mac Geek Gab listener, my read on it is Dave wants to obsessively geek out on how to do this live in real time. Correct. Because I keep hearing just little t- about the new board or some new gizmo to make yeah. something go. No, and I can just imagine at home having so much fun with this stuff. Well, and that's the other part of it is, yes, I'm a musician. Uh, I've, I've certainly done my share of recording, but for the most part, um, my, my music experience has been playing live. So I'm used to that kind of without a net feeling. I like it. I thrive on it. Um, and, and, and therefore my knowledge of sound came from dealing with sound in a live setting. Uh, so, so I, I understand that far better than I do the, 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 I mean, it's the same equipment, but you treat things differently when you're, when you're post-producing and you're, and you're recording. And I was also a big fan of, uh, Adam Curry's daily source code at the time. This was back in 19, uh, or 2005 rather. Uh, so, and he did his show live. He, he, he didn't do any edits and, and, uh, so, and I understood the equipment he was using again because I had this, um, you know, background. And I also had the gear. I had a mixer. I had a lot of microphones. Of course, I've gotten more now. Uh, and I had some compressors and I had an outboard reverb unit. And so like, okay, I can, I can piece this all together. And, and so that's what I did. And I, I'm happy to go deep into to how that works. I don't know how, how deep you want to go, but I'm, I'm ready anytime. So why don't you just describe what you're doing? I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that probably don't have the need for this, but I think right. you could at least explain it 
because okay, I think yeah. it's kind of interesting the 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 thoughts that go through it and the kind of the architecture of building a system like this. I'll paint the big picture. Um, it, it started as an all inside the computer picture uh, where I was doing everything and mixing live with an app, which meant digging in, finding the right window. And if I needed to tweak something like if John's level was too high or if I needed to add a little bit more low end on a, a recording we were playing from a listener question, I had to go and find that app, find that window, dig there, click with my mouse and, you know, find the virtual knob to turn that that by the time I got there, it was too late. Right. You know, we're doing this live. I can't go back and fix it. So now there was 15 seconds of whatever that was non-optimal. So I wanted to figure out a way to do this with uh, a board, but of course we're an outboard uh, thing where I had faders that I could touch and EQs that I could tweak. And, and this is, this is a comfortable thing for me. Cause again, you know, playing in bands for years, I sort of became the default sound guy. So, uh, but I'm also doing it with Skype, right? So I know that my audio, at least half of my audio is starting from inside the computer. So the way it works is this, my microphone is plugged into a board uh, directly into a mixer outside of my computer. John's audio obviously comes in over, through Skype. I capture John's audio, just John's audio from Skype. And I send it out of my computer using uh, audio hijack pro send it out of my computer. And I plug literally plug a cable that has John's audio in it into my mixer. So now I have two channels. I have me in one and John in another. And I have, all right, let me interrupt right there for a second. Go ahead. So you, you actually use the incoming signal from John in the, in the final recording then. Yes. Oh, absolutely. See, and that's against the grain for a lot of us podcasters like Katie and I, we uh, record ourselves separately and it's combined somewhere else. So uh, you have the source recording for me and the source recording for Katie. When we first started doing the show, in fact, if you go back and listen to some of the early shows, we'd have one once in a while where one of us sounds terrible and you'd know that the other one was the one who did the post in that show because we got a bad Skype. Eventually we figured it out. So how are you making sure you get a good quality John F. Braun on every episode? I, yeah, I didn't realize you're doing it that way. Uh, and, and that was the goal was for people to think we were in the same room. Um, now, obviously, people over the years, we, we aren't we aren't shy about the fact that I'm in New live from Durham, New Hampshire and live from Fairfield, Connecticut. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we, we do. Um, we have learned a lot about some of the inner workings of Skype over the years. Uh, but really, and some of that at times has played a huge role. Uh, but for the most part, if you get a decent signal coming into Skype and you have a good uh, internet, solid internet connection, you can get good audio with Skype. You've got to send, a, a, you've got to control your gain on both sides of it. And when I say gain, I mean, when you talk into a microphone, uh, on the, on the mixer or whatever input device you're using. Uh, and it might be the microphone if it's a USB mic and you might be really limited or perhaps fixed in this, which is why we use outboard gear. You can control the amount of signal that you let in and you want to let in as much signal as possible without it distorting. And, uh, and so we do that on John's end and we've learned kind of, we, we did a lot of trial and error before the first Mac geek cab ever came out, uh, about just getting the sound just right. And it, and it, and it works. You know, Skype will do really high quality audio back and forth. You've just got to give it good signal in so that it can send signal out. 
Uh, yeah, I absolutely would not believe you, except for the fact that you just told me you've been doing it all these years, and I always assumed that you were double-ending that show. Never once have we double-ended a Mac Geek Cab. Because John, either, didn't, right? John didn't know enough about audio for me. Frankly, it was easier for me to get him set up with Skype. I mean, he's a smart guy. I could have taught him. But it, it was just simpler and faster for me to get him set up getting good signal in and then, okay, good. Don't touch it ever again. And it literally went years without him touching a knob. And then the day I had to have him touch a knob, it took like two hours. Cause you know, he's like, well, this is this black box that I don't understand. Teach me like, great. Now I got to spend two hours teaching you, so, you know, which was fine, but you know, no, it's, it's always been done single mono, uh, AIFF file on my end. That, so Dave, so- what we've learned is that Dave, the other Dave likes to come to California for vacation and, Dave Sparks has a house in California. So what we need to make happen is Dave Sparks have Dave Hamilton come over to his house on vacation and set his audio up for him. I, I'll, uh, I'll cook you some bratwurst, Dave. Yeah. He, like yeah, I'll take he care makes, of you. He makes good bratwurst. Uh, no problem. So yeah, so that, so, so, you know, so that's how it works. So we, we, John's audio comes out. I, the trick is background noise is, you know, one thing you've got to minimize. There's nothing you can do about that. Um, and then the other so uh, it comes into the mixer, and, and the mixer I use has um, what are called insert chains, where you can you can put devices in kind of in in line, and, and it's a pretty common feature. And so I the devices I use are an expander, a noise gate. It I, I use an for those of you who know anything about audio, I use an expander, not a gate. But if you don't know anything about audio, the the distinctions are relevant. What a noise gate does is it makes it so that it only lets sound through if the sound coming through is of a sufficient level and you can set that level. And what that means is when I'm not talking, zero sound comes through. So when I'm talking, you don't hear anything in the background from John and, and, and vice versa with me. Right. So that helps it clean up a lot. Uh, and then we use compressors, uh, audio compressors, dynamic compressors to um, keep the levels uh, consistent. So like right now, uh, when I talk that the compressor is actually reducing the amount of signal that's coming in so that I'm not over modulating and I can get this far away from my mic and my level stays the same. It sounds a little different because you're hearing more of the room bouncing, but the level never changes. And that's what a compressor does. So Dave, have you ever written any of this stuff up? Not really. I should. I know you should. There's a great website called the Mac observer. Yeah, I know. Great content yeah, I've got them. publishing rights there. <laughs> I, I think especially just the, the way in which you tweak and rules of thumb for Skype would be good. Because, I mean, people are using Skype in business and everything else. And, yeah. boy, my experience is sometimes it works great and sometimes it's just terrible. We did a show once where we had – it was one of the first shows that I did the edit on. And we dropped like 20 times in the process of recording one show. It was absolute hell. And I think I and, said, hey, Dave, why don't you do the edit for this one? That'd be a good experience for you. Yeah. And, then, and now I'm yeah, thinking, <laughs> now I'm thinking maybe it was something I had set up wrong. I mean, it could have been that simple. I just didn't know any better. Well, if you were dropping connections, that's, you know, that's typically that's beyond Skype. That's, uh, you know, one of your cable modems or the other just was having a bad night or, you know, whatever. But yeah. 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 So, but we weren't dropping internet. We were just dropping Skype, you know, well, kind of go into Cylon mode and then. Yeah, you, but you, you, 
you may have been dropping internet without realizing it. Skype's pretty picky. It, it, you know, it needs a consistent connection. It's not like you're downloading a web page where a half a second lag is something you might not even notice, right? If it, if it pauses halfway through, whereas with, with this, if I pause halfway through while speaking, everybody's going to know. Well, they won't because I'm recording on this end tonight. I had to re- figure out how to do that. You know, it's, I hope I'm doing it yeah. right. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're messing up your system. I know. I should have just recorded the whole thing and sent you a file because you guys. Yeah, right we could have just had you Perfect. it for us. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Dave, does, you know, Dave, does the whole thing fall apart if you add a third person? Yes and no. No, it doesn't. It's non-optimal only because the um, when you pull audio out of Skype, you only get one channel of audio for all the other parties. So right. if I have three people on. It, you know, if, if it's me and three other people, all three of them come into one channel. So so that's where, you know, the double ender can be um, or a multi ender at that point can be beneficial. But if you know, again, if you use your compressors right, uh, you can you can keep those levels pretty consistent as long as somebody's not on some. If everybody's on decent microphones, it can be done without really without anybody noticing. You should totally write this up, Dave. I know. That's why I'm doing this show. People can listen here, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think there's people that there's people out there that are going to want the nitty gritty. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Hey, uh, you know something else you do, Dave, that I've always admired is for years you gave a talk at Macworld that I attended a couple times called How to Run Your Mac Lean, Clean, and what was mean. it? Lean, Clean, Lean, and Clean, mean. and Mean. Yeah. Lean, Clean, and Mean. And I've always felt like that you were one of the foremost authorities on just utilities and Mac maintenance. I mean, you ran that business for so many years. You've seen, you've probably seen a lot of the problems that people run into. Yep. Um, So where does Mac maintenance fit in these days of OS 10.9? You can get away with doing very little, but your life will be better if you keep with a maintenance schedule. And and by a maintenance schedule, I mean, you know, repairing your permissions once every three months, you know, four times a year kind of thing. Um, rebuilding your 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 startup caches, essentially letting Onyx run once a quarter will probably keep your Mac really happy. We've talked about Onyx in the past. Onyx, which is the free version, yeah. the, the kind of the free utility. Then there's Cocktail. Is Cocktail right. still in development? I think it is. I think so, yeah. I used to and, love and then, cocktail, and then and then finally realized Onyx was just as good, and then it to me got even better. So, yeah, and then there's also some some new utilities coming out, and uh, one of them is escaping me. I bought it last year; it was part of a, a package from CoinGo. Uh, well, there's a there's Clean My Mac, and then there's something that's washing machine or something like that. Yep. Yeah, yep. Clean My Mac, which is uh, is another one. Yes, washing machine is new to me. I haven't heard of that one before. That may not be its real name, but it's something kind of like a washing machine. I don't remember. Now, clean, clean my Mac really isn't. I, I let me back up for the listeners. I got ahead of myself. So, uh, Dave, there are certain things. You know, the Mac underneath all of it is a Unix system, right? And and at the you know you, there are certain tasks you do to maintain those systems. And for so many years, Apple was almost there, but not quite. Like I remember the daily, weekly, monthly scripts. They still exist. They still run on yeah. Mac. Yeah. Yeah, but it used to be that 
the the operating system for one reason or another could very easily miss those. These are little scripts that they run in the background to kind of do really basic system maintenance. Right. And if your computer was turned off or if your laptop, the lid was closed, and there was a lot of ways that those wouldn't happen. So all of us nerds got really excited about it. And we all had like iCal calendar events and Apple scripts and just about every automation way you could think of. I'm pretty sure I wrote posts about it at Max Sparky like ages ago. And I'm sure you guys did at Mac Observer too. But as the iterations of Mac OS X kept getting higher, it seems like they were nailing that every time, getting a little bit better to the point now that I'm pretty sure those scripts run without any effort on my behalf. Yeah, it it has gotten way better. You know, I mean, it it it. Well, I've always found it ironic that oh, um, that you know, system well six for the Mac and and DOS for uh, IBM PCs and also DOS for the Apple uh, two series and the Apple one was created because our home computers, our personal computers at the time, were not powerful enough to run Unix or or VMS, right? Which was sort of the competitor to Unix. And and then finally, you know, decades later, we're actually running Unix and VMS because Windows is sort of based on VMS um, and OS X is based on Unix. So it, it nothing changed. We just had this gap of where we were waiting for our home computers to get fast enough to run these operating systems that we wanted to run 30 years ago. Um, and, and so Unix has been around for 30 years, th- more than 30 years. And so all those scripts run, you know, all that stuff runs fine as long as your computer is on all the time. Of course, you bake Unix into a desktop machine, which is, you know, constantly being slept and lids closed and, you know, shut down at weird intervals and all that stuff. And that's what that's what the original problem was with those scripts not running. If your machine wasn't on at the time the script was supposed to run initially, that was it wouldn't run. Then Apple, like you said, they've sort of iterated on it over the years. And now they've gotten it to the point where those scripts are going to run by golly at some point. So, and then, so then as users, we start to feel like the people on that lost Island, we're like, okay, do I keep punching in these six numbers? And if I stop, is nothing going to happen or is the world going to end? You know, it kind of is like that. Right. So, (laughs) so you get an application like Onyx, O-N-Y-X, by the way, and it's a free application and it's built to do a bunch of the background Unixy stuff with a decent user interface on it. So mortal users can go in there and they can click on a box and press a button and run a script. And then the question becomes, so which of these numbers do we still need to be typing into the computer? Yeah, so you're right. You don't have to. Onyx will fire off those built into OS 10 maintenance scripts, and there's nothing wrong with letting it do that unless you're in a crunch for time because it obviously takes a little bit of time. And the 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 daily script's not so bad. The monthly script is is huge. Or I don't even know if there's a monthly. Oh yeah, I guess there is. Daily, weekly, monthly. Right. Um, but what Onyx will do in addition to that is. It will clean out um, a lot of your caches, things, temporary data that that the OS 10, even if everything in OS 10 is running properly, it won't wipe out. Um, it will let you do things like cleaning your mail, uh, what's called the envelope index, which is the index that mail uses to to track everything and, and sort of when you search mail, it, it uses that first to make things faster. And that can notoriously get corrupted so that that's a handy thing to be able to clean and i do that you know once again once every three months is probably right once every six months might even work for that but um but i i tend to 
I, I don't schedule this stuff. I just think about it. And, and then sometimes it's like, all right, today's the day I'm going to do it. And so, you know, I, I err on the side of once a quarter. So, and I also think that those are the kinds of problems like cash problems. I've always told listeners is be careful with caches because sometimes they're there for a good reason. Uh, when you blow out your Safari caches, uh, your websites are going to load slower for a while because yeah. all that stuff right. that you had cached up is gone now. And, That's right. and this is a good time to point out that just because doing something once is a good thing, that doesn't mean that doing it all the time is a better thing. And I'll, I'll see that with, you know, the, the, these aren't necessarily magic, you know, rubber chicken things, although these are kind of general troubleshooting tips that if, if your Mac is running slow or kludgy or you're having particular problems, yeah, that's one of the first things I'll do because it doesn't really hurt as long as you're not doing it every day um, to run Onyx and, and what I call clear out the cruft. But this isn't something that you want to be doing every day. And, and I'll, I'll see a lot of novice Mac users who, you know, every time anything happens or, you know, pick something, um, you, you know, it's kind of like, well, just zap the PRAM or rebuild the desktop. You know, it's right. like, right. no, the that's, <laughs> that's not a thing anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's been a long time since I tried to rebuild the desktop. That's pretty yeah, funny. Yeah. What, what was, what was that option command at yeah. startup? Option yeah. command click at startup? Yeah. No, no it's yeah. just option command. I mean, it, that, as soon as you said it, the command like popped into my head. It's, it's burned in, but yeah. I mean, I haven't done it in probably a decade. Right. <laughs> But I, I will tell you, my uh, my Mac, my local Mac user group has a has a mailing list that is is pretty low activity. But every time somebody posts a problem on the mailing list, my Mac's doing X Y Z funky thing. There is one person who will always respond. Have you tried rebuilding the desktop? And I, I just you know, I I just can't bring myself to tell them that's not a thing anymore. It's just not a thing. All right. Yeah. Well, like on the cache issue, though, let's let's go back to that yeah. for a second. I, I think that the mail cache is one that is definitely if you're finding uh, performance problems with Apple Mail. Absolutely. I think you do that. And sometimes it will fix it. It won't always fix it. But right. I think that's a good that's a good go to. Another one to me is the what is it, the font cache? I believe that that's another one that seems to get into trouble sometimes. Yeah. Um, the Safari cache, I don't. I don't clear that out very often. I leave I, that one alone too. I, I'm with you on that. And cookies, especially in Safari, you definitely want to leave alone because that, that can make your life, you know, a disaster for a while if you blow those away. What other what other pieces of the Onyx uh, cache system are you uh, are you recommending people look into? I'll I'll blow away the the system and user caches, and I'll also have it uh, rebuild launch services. That that tends to uh, and and the DYLDs shared cache, those those are the ones that if, if there's problems with the system booting, it, you know again these caches are built by the Mac for itself just to speed things along, and if one of those caches gets corrupted, the system may not you know quote unquote know, and so it just keeps using it until it is forced to rebuild it, and it, it can help. But like you know, Katie, you made an excellent point. Doing this every day. And even if, even though it worked well yesterday to solve this particular problem, it probably isn't going to work two days in a row. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, And then you can do some other fun stuff with Onyx. Uh, One of the things that I I recommend that people do, you know, at least every couple of months is, you know, verify your disk structures because that can be an an early warning sign of something going wrong. You can do that with disk utility now, but um, Onyx asks you and I I usually leave it in there and and let it do it because it can be the first sign of, I've... I've had some false 
false positives, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. But if it tells you you've got trouble, it's usually an early warning sign of trouble that you can usually fix if you catch it quick enough. And then you can also do a repair permissions in there. But you can not only repair the disk permissions, but I think you can also repair the user permissions with Onyx as well. You can now. Yeah, that's a relatively new thing. Sometime in the last year, I think they popped that in there. But that's super handy because it's a real pain to do if you do it the Apple way. You've got a boot from the you know, startup part or the uh, recovery partition and then invoke the right command, but you don't have access to the internet while you're trying to remember what the command is. So yeah, yeah, no, Onyx is the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, so well, it, I, I was going to say, as, as, uh, um, as far as routine maintenance, if you have had a Mac for more than two years without wiping out the drive, you may see a significant speed bo- and you, and you have a, a spindle drive, not an SSD. This does not apply to SSDs. But if you have a spindle drive and you have not reformatted it in uh, in two years or more, defragging that drive will help. I know it sounds yeah, crazy, yeah. but it, it does. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a weird thing because all the PC people want to defrag. And I guess this isn't as much of a case as it used to be because SSDs are kind of taking over. But mm-hmm. it used to be. I would get emails all the time from people saying, well, I just switched from a PC and which defrag tool should I get? And, you know, how often should I run it? Because, you know, in the PC world, you're supposed to run a defrag apparently every three days yeah. on your on your PC. That's right. Once and, a week, um, whether it needs it or not. Yeah. And I, I just felt like on the Mac, it really wasn't as big of a deal. I guess it, two years is, is a lot of time, though. Yeah. And it's not as big of a deal on the Mac because the OS does some defragging all the time. Uh, again, on, not on SSDs, but on on spindle drives, the, the OS maintains a, a group of commonly accessed files. And not only does it defragment them, but it keeps them on the area of the disk that is quickest to access. Uh, it's like the center stripe yeah, or something. I've right, read, yeah, right. So they'll, they'll actually, the OS would move the most frequently used bits that you're always accessing. Uh, onto this area of the drive where the where the head could get to it the fastest from anywhere on the drive. That's right. And we could explain that the drives are like record players with heads and needles, but nobody would know what we were talking about. So. <laughs> yeah. My daughter got, she asked for a record player for Christmas. Had a girl. I, I couldn't, I could, I was, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, you should you introduce her to Neil Young. Your dad is Max Sparky and you want... <laughs> You know how happy I was when I was able to get rid of all those records? And then a listener, a very nice listener, sent me the Miles Davis kind of blue LP. Mm. And now I just hang out in her room and I listen to the record and read the liner notes like like I did 30 years ago. That's the thing is the liner notes. We have that whole experience is lost now. Now, we, we've traded it for many, many other things that we just didn't have back then. Um, so it, it's fine and it's the way the world works, but, but there was something really, really kind of special about getting a new album and reading the liner notes while you were listening yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you put, you put the needle on, you plug in the cans and you sit down That's it on the floor. It was an active thing. Yeah. The yeah. best part though was Christmas morning. So we set it up, we put a record on and it plays the song. She's like, okay, now how do I make it repeat? <laughs> <laughs> I laugh so much. Did you give her a penny? (laughs) Right? You know, because sometimes the track would get would get worn. And so to get full sound out of it, you'd have to put a penny on the needle so that it would dig into the groove. Of course, you'd wear through to the other side pretty fast. But, you know, yeah. 
Well, I have a feeling you guys are, are getting ready to go where ultimately we always knew this podcast would go because we've got two music guys on the on the show. But uh, maybe before we go there, if David, I can persuade you to, to talk about our, our exclusive sponsor, uh, Smile, one more time before we go deep down to the music train. Yeah, well, you know, Katie talked earlier about Smile and their product PDF Pin for the Mac. And what makes it really great is that it's a platform across all of the Apple devices. They also have PDF Pin for iOS, and that's two different versions. They have one for the iPad and one for the iPhone. I really love this uh, application on my iPad because, because it combines with the Mac. It makes it really easy for me to have my documents everywhere. Like Katie was saying, you can have it on Dropbox or iCloud. And the iCloud sharing is really awesome because with iCloud, if I save it to iCloud on the Mac and I open my iPad, the document's already there. And because I'm you know, like Katie, I spend a lot of time with PDFs. It's really great to be able to have immediate access to my documents. Not only that, it syncs up all the modifications I'm doing. And because PDF pen can do so much, you can annotate and highlight and you can even go into an existing PDF and you can change text in the document. You can, you know, redact text, all that stuff just transfers right over to the iPad. So I, I frequently have the experience where I'm going to go be somewhere where I have to meet with somebody or talk to somebody about a document. And one of my most common workflows is to sit on my Mac and spend time working on the PDF file. And then uh, when I'm done, just hit save, close the lid, and then take my iPad with me to where I'm going. And then when I get there, I just open up PDF pin for the iPad and it's right there because the iCloud sync. And that's something I do every day. Another trick I use, by the way, is, is carry around with one of those little styli with you because PDF Pen is a great place. If you want to do a highlight or something around the iPad, you can do it right there. So not only can you view the application or the, the PDF, you can also correct text in the original with editable text. You can move, resize, copy, delete images in the original PDF. You can import images from your photo library on your iOS device and drop it right into your PDF, which is kind of really useful for me at least uh, you can say frequently used images and signatures and objects for reuse so if you've got your signature just right you can save it into the library and you can just drop it into a document like katie was talking about this works great both not only the ipad but on the iphone too so let's say somebody sends you something they want you to sign you just open up pdf pin for the iphone drop your signature in and email it back to them and you're done. You don't even have to sit at a desk to get this stuff done now. You can also add notes and comments and freehand scribbles. Because it's an iPad or an iPhone, you can draw right on the PDF, which is, I think, very interactive. Uh, you can mark up documents with highlighting and underscoring. You can copy, combine, rename, delete files. They've got it all covered uh, with PDF pin for the iPad and the iPhone. Uh, the what another thing you can do is you can get their other product for the phone called PDF Pin Scan Plus, and that also works on the iPad, but it, it allows you to apply OCR to a document. So what I really like about Smile is they've got a complete solution for managing PDFs across all of these platforms. If you like your Macs and your iPads and your iPhones, getting invested in the Smile line of PDF Pin uh, line of products is going to make it easy for you to manage your PDFs from anywhere in any device. It just solves the problem, and that's what I love about it. So you can head over to the 
iOS App Store, and you can pick up a copy of PDF Pen for your iPad for $14.99. You can get the PDF Pen for your iPhone for $4.99, or you can get the PDF Pen Scan Plus for $4.99, and you're going to be all set. Go check out PDF Pen. Let them know you heard about it from us, and uh, good luck with that, because it's really solved a lot of problems for me over the years. Thanks, Smile, for supporting the show. So, Dave, uh, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, but not only are you a musician, you're a drummer. I am, which may, in some circles, not necessarily categorize me as a musician, but but fair enough. Yes, I'm certainly a drummer. But what, what is up with this uh, animosity towards drummers? <laughs> I I don't know. I it's uh, I I enjoy the uh, the 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 friendly ribbing that goes on. You know, the, my favorite joke along those lines is, "What do you call the guy that hangs out with the musicians? The drummer." I remember once I was uh, when I was in high school I was in uh, I was in a, an honor band and we toured with a a singing group and at one point I said I was up in front of the mic and I said okay all the all the uh, singers go to the left side of the room all the musicians go to the right side of the room <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah you know I was in high school I wanted to get dates with some of the girls in the choir and that pretty much ruined that for me yeah. 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 Well, you know, but, but you're also, I mean, you, you, um, you, you don't just play the drums. You also, I know you were doing guitar for a while. I, I go to the excellent Macworld all-star band every year at Macworld and you do some singing and just tell me, so how is your geek life inter- intersecting with your musician life? Well, you know, the, the, the Macworld all-star band definitely is, is, is at the, center of that intersection, right? Where my geek life and my, my music life sort of come together. But I I will say that I owe a lot of the relationships that I have made that have helped me at the Mac Observer and, and Mac Geek Gab and, and just in general, uh, in part or in whole are because of, of the fact that, you know, I'm out there playing music in our community and all that. I've, I, I joke, but it's not a joke. I, I've, I've said, all the good things that have happened in my life stem from music. And it's true. In fact, I get a little choked up when I say it. It's, um, it, it's very true. And, and, and the Mac, I count the Mac observer in those things. Um, but you know, Brian and I are both musicians. We, uh, bonded chatting about the Beatles and, you know, uh, all different kinds of stuff. And so it, you know, music is, is at the core of, of everything I do. So it, yeah, it's all there. It's good. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't trade it for the world. There's sometimes when it gets a little hectic, like this time of year, especially this year. But that's okay. It's you know, it's better than the alternative of having nothing to do. I've always felt that every person I meet has some sort of artist bent to them, and sometimes it's expressed different ways. But in particular with Mac people, that artist bent is really loud, uh, and. I it's just about every person I've ever met that that drives a Mac, and and maybe that's not as true now because it's become so popular. But especially back in the day, everybody's doing something. They're doing woodworking, or they're, you know, they do art, or they've got some way to express an artist's feel. And I think that's one of the big attractions of this platform because Apple's always done such a good job of making it easy for you to create with their stuff. Yeah, their stuff has always been fun to use. Uh, you know, even I mean, even an Apple II, it was just more fun than a, a PC. Now, I I will admit that in the early days when I was kind of getting involved in computers, um, the, I I was really attracted to the PC, that like the AT, the XT, and then the AT. 
because they seem like really serious machines that you could get a lot done with and, and more powerful and all that. But the, but the, the, you know, the Apple was always fun. And, and as it turns out, the Apple you could do plenty with. And, and I learned that very quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's at the core of what they do or, and what they've always done there. And do you do great. much with, do you do much with like GarageBand and Logic, any of that stuff? Some, uh, you know, I mentioned before recording, I, I enjoy recording when I do it. Uh, it's rare that I carve out enough time to do it right such that I enjoy it. Um, Dave Wiskus and I collaborated a little bit on a couple of songs last year where I was recording here in, in my studio and I would send him tracks and he would mix them with his uh, guitar tracks and vocal tracks that he put down and, and we'd pass them back and forth. And that kind of stuff is fun. And I've also done stuff, but you know, logic um, I'm still a novice with logic very much. So garage band, I've done a lot with, um, I used to train on, um, uh, Cubase years ago and, and pro tools. So, um, I'm, 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 I'm familiar with those packages, but it's been a while since I've used them and I've never really used them on a day-to-day basis. Well, they're pretty amazing. And with yeah. the ability to share information now over the internet, you're finding about all these artists that are creating albums that are doing like or- orchestral work where they've got one person in Brazil and one person in Europe and one person in Africa and they make this great stuff come together. And it sounds like they're in the same room. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason you can't do that now. Uh, although like with a virtual company or, you know, any kind of project where you're working on something with someone else and you are not in a physical space together, there is always a communication gap. Uh, and it, it is funny how it manifests itself. Dave, Dave and I, we were working on one song. He had this idea for the intro. And if he had been here, he would have just tapped it out and it would have taken 10 seconds to communicate this idea and I would have had it cold. But instead, it probably took about three hours of back and forth. Well, does, is this what you're after? No, that's not quite it. Finally, he just, with his iPhone recorded himself tapping it out on, you know, on a surface and, and sent me that. I'm like, Oh, that's what, okay. That's easy. You know, it's like, yeah, I know, but I know. You know yeah. But, that, but then again, if we had to be in the same room to do it, it never would have happened. So I, re- yeah. yeah, I remember back when I used to play more frequently, there was, I had a favorite drummer, a guy who I did a lot of gigs with. And we, we, when I would play, he got to know my like soloing style so well that he would compliment what I, the, the next lick I was going to play before I even realized I was, I was getting started on it. He'd set you up for it. That's awesome. It, yeah. And it's just, I've always felt like that was really magical. I don't know. You could do that over, uh, over the internet. Uh, yeah. I mean, it would, it would, it would take longer. I mean, it just, it's yeah. time together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I you and know, then you also playing live is something I will, I, that that's always at the top of my list. But, you know, that's yeah. it, one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Dave, what, what do you keep in your menu bar? That's the other question I always like to ask uh, guests Cause, because you're, you're so you've been with the Mac so long. I bet you've got some interesting utilities you're running these days. Yeah. So uh, I wish I brought my laptop over because that's the one that, that has all the good stuff in it. But one password lives up there uh, because it has to. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely live with, um, um, I now I can't remember the name of it. Uh, oh, come on, I can't think of this stupid thing. iStat menus. 
That's why. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to call it menu meters, but but I gave up on menu meters a while ago. All uh, those years oh. ago. Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong, Katie? I could not believe that Dave gave up on menu meters. I bet John still uses menu meters. No, he he switched too. So the thing was, you know, when iStat menu, and I'm sure this is still true today, but it, it's less relevant. When iStat menu came out, it ate up like constantly, consistently 4% of the CPU. And that was like, that's crazy for a utility that's going right. to sit there all the time. So menu meters was it because it ate up, you know, like a quarter percent. Now, you know, our CPUs are fast enough that it eats up, you know, like a quarter. Yeah, iStat eats up like a quarter percent. Menu meters probably eats up none. But um, yeah, yeah, but it, you know, I like all the the data that I get with with iStat menus. Uh, you know, I I started with computers when modems had lights on them and hard drives had lights. So I am very much addicted to some kind of visual confirmation that something is happening when the computer seems like it's stalled. And iStat menus totally feeds that 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 OCD in me. So. So that's on every Mac that I have, without question. Yeah, so if you haven't used it before, iStat Menus allows you to give you little graphical representations of various pieces of your computer in the menu bar. I use it with Bartender, so it's there, but I don't see it that often. I only go looking for it when I need it. But you can get anything from the temperature of your processor to the amount of available hard drive space or the CPU load. It's it's just total fodder for nerds. It's yeah. great. And it's handy. You know, you put the... the uh, network traffic up there and you can tell, you know, is my computer downloading a web page right now or is it truly stalled and, and should I, you know, look to solve this problem another way? And that it's handy. It's totally handy. Bartender's another yeah. one though that on a, on a laptop, especially my 11 inch air, that is a lifesaver. Yeah. How come nobody came up with that earlier? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, based on what I saw during the beta process, which he did sort of publicly and, and then even just iterating since its release, it's not easy. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would agree. I, I don't think it's trivial. And, and he's allowing you to move applications that even aren't supposed to be moved in right. your menu bar. I, I don't know what he's doing, but yeah. it's, there's some magic in there. Doesn't matter. And if you haven't, right. <laughs> yeah. If you, have, if you haven't checked out bartender yet, um, it's an application that allows you, it gives you in essence, a second menu bar and you click an icon in your menu bar and it opens up like a second row right below. So you can take the applications. If your menu bar is stretched all the way across the top of your Mac, this allows you to move a bunch of them into that lower row. And then it'll disappear when you're not using it. And you can just keep the ones that you really need up in the top row. In fact, that's a whole new question is what is menu bar worthy versus what goes into bartender? So and that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah, right. Well, and then the other thing you can do with bartender is you can tell it, look, if, if, you know, a lot of things in the menu bar are, have their change, their uh, visual representation to give you some sort of status update. And you can tell bartender, only put this thing in my main menu bar when it changes. So you, you, you know, this thing appears and you know, ah, something's going on that I need to know about, but otherwise it just stays hidden in the, uh, in the bartender bar. That's super handy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I do that with my transporter and my Dropbox. Exactly. So they're usually in the bartender, but when there's activity, it goes up. And so if I'm uploading something, I can see, Hey, is it all the way up yet? You know, that's great. Yep. So, and then, and then like, I've got two inches of my bartender devoted to iStat menus. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. But that's yeah. handy. It's, it's a quick place to look to get that stuff. So yeah, iStat menus, I'm a, I'm a, uh, well, 
I'm a freak about having uh, multiple clipboards or a clipboard history, I should say. So uh, I, I started using Keyboard Maestro years ago, and I still use it. For the most part, I use it for its clipboard history. And I realize there's zillions of other apps you could use to do that. But, uh, but Keyboard Maestro runs on every one of my Macs because of that. I'm used to their keystrokes. They're built into my hands already. And so... Um, and if you haven't worked with multiple clipboards before, or or I, I should say, and, and Keyboard Maestro will do multiples, I I really just use one and have it keep a history. It is super handy to be able to go back and find something, you know, three copies ago and paste that. Uh, in fact, my, my workflows now rely on it. I was building emails earlier today and I had to, I was kind of tweaking. I needed to send essentially the same email to about 10 people. Um, but I was moving things around and kind of rewriting it as I was iterating each one. But for the subject line, you know, that was just two copies ago. And so I hit the invoke the the clipboard manager and I just pop down two, and it would paste that in. And then, you know, the text would be where it is and you can really get into a flow with that stuff. Um, if I'm on a Mac that doesn't have uh, clipboard history, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I, I, my fingers have mittens on. So, you know, that's yeah. a, if I can go off on a tangent for just a minute, that that's an area that I wanted to cover with you is how do you manage your volumes and volume of email? Because I know you, you probably get a ton because of your multiple jobs that you do in, in various areas of your life. But I also know, I know you're a Eudora user back in the day and I, I think you use Apple mail now, but like me, you, you have kept every bit of email, you know, dating back years and years and years and years. And how do you manage all that? Do you, do you have multiple accounts that just flow into one? Cause, or do you have different accounts for all these different personalities and you're, you're manually checking different things and, and how do you organize and find stuff in there? Yeah. So, um, I, today I am, I, I've, I've, I realized a couple of years ago, I am one person. I need one inbox. Um, and, 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 but And I tell some people that and they're like, oh, no, I keep my work separate from my personal. And and that's fine for for a lot of people that actually makes sense. For me, it doesn't. I I don't have a job. Yeah, because you're so well blended. Yeah. And I don't have a job I can detach from. You you know, it's all just the same. So uh, I like it all in one spot. I did about a year, year and a half ago, start using SaneBox to uh to manage kind of the flow into my inbox and and david i think you're a, a big fan of sanebox too and and that oh yeah yeah saves my life every day every day yep so and it 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 really helps you know kind of split that stuff out in an automated way and yet very trainable so uh so i use sanebox but yeah in the old days uh really before searching worked as well as it does now and it's it still could get a lot better but uh you know, when I used Eudora, I had a separate mailbox for every person or project that I worked with or worked on. And that was fine. I moved to MailSmith uh, when Eudora started to kind of falter. And MailSmith worked well uh, for that. I mean, they had to rewrite MailSmith to deal with somebody who had 1,500 mailboxes. But um, but Rich Siegel was, was quite amenable to that. Thank goodness. Um, and, uh, and then I moved to Apple Mail. And slowly kind of came around to the idea of, no, I don't need a separate mailbox for everything anymore. Uh, I can really live with one archive box. And and that's, I still have those old mailboxes. Anything I filed into those still lives in the, on my Mac folder on, uh, on my main desktop. 
which of course is backed up six ways from Sunday. But, uh, but everything else, you know, any, any mail that I archive, I use mail act on, uh, which is great because you can assign rules to keystrokes in mail. So I have a keystroke for archive this message and without my fingers ever leaving the keyboard that, you know, a message that I just read and replied to now gets archived and, and away it goes. And that's that. And so it makes me, yeah, I'm, a, I, Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, mail act on as well, but also if you've just got a standard archive, try pressing control command a control in mail command a, Oh, to, to archive to, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know I started using mail act on before mail really got that together. So I, I, yeah, my fingers that's are that's only the last few yeah. versions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but you're totally right. Yeah. Mail will, will do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's handy. So, so do you have, uh, and, and maybe at some point you've just dropped them, but I, I have collected all of these email addresses along the way. And at, at one point I just forward them all to my primary email address. And, and I still have a couple of separate email addresses for a couple of separate personalities. I, I, I cannot combine my work and personal email address. Sure. But I think I probably could combine, you know, my Mac power users and my personal email address. I, I think I'm about at that point and I, I may be about ready to do that. But um, so do you just have all of those other email addresses for Dave that are floating out there, you know, forwarding to your current one now? Or do you just say, hey, if you don't know my current email address, we don't need to keep in touch? No, everything forwards in. There's no reason to expire the stuff. If I still own the domain or have access to the account, it just all flows into one and uh, and it works fine. Yeah. And then are you are you using Gmail or using your own mail server? Are you using something else? How How are you managing you know, the, the spam and everything that must be coming through. Yeah. So when we started everything, of course, you know, there was no, uh, Gmail. Uh, so we rolled and managed our own mail server for years. Uh, Q mail was, was at the core of what we did? Uh, cause it's what we started with. And then came a day when one of our admins updated our Q mail server and mail broke for everyone. And it was that day that I realized I literally was the only person on the planet that understood all the nuances of how our mail server was put together. That various people had worked on it at different times and there was no one else that, that understood it. So we got it working. Thank goodness. It was like, you know, the gods smiled upon us to, to get this thing back up and running. And, uh, and then the next day I moved everything over to Google apps for domains. Um, and I'm, you know, Google's okay. Their spam is pretty good. Um, it's not perfect, but um, but it sure is reliable. You know, uh, way more reliable than running your own mail server. That's for darn sure. And yeah, yeah mail well, servers are weird. It, they're they're really weird beasts to run. So I'm I'm I would be very hesitant to to ever get back into uh, a situation where I had to manage our own because you're such a trailblazer in the sense that you guys were there so early. I mean, you, you rolled your own stuff at the beginning by necessity because there was nothing else to use. Right. So I'm sure that you've got a lot of that still in your system and some workflows because that's just the way you started it. And why would you change it if it's working? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, you know, for the, the Mac observer servers, we, roll and manage our own Apache and MySQL servers. And we use varnish as a front end cache and we rolled that ourselves. And yeah, I, I mean, it, that, that stuff's not scary to us uh, in, in a general sense, but, but like specifically, as I said, the mail server is, is a frightening, frightening thing, but, um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's, 
it's all fine. You know, just software. And it's then, amazing to me. Any of it works when I think about it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so. Yeah. So it sounds like you've just gotten to the point where, yeah, some of the stuff, it makes sense to have your own, but you know, when there's a good solution out there, and just just go with it. And Google's a good solution for a lot of people. Our our office moved to three uh, Exchange three sixty five or, or Outlook three sixty five, yeah. whatever it is, whatever Microsoft's product is. Yeah, you know, I'm not thrilled with it, but um, we seriously looked at the Google Google Apps for Business product and didn't go with it ultimately because we were afraid of the learning curve with with the staff that we had to change anything if it looked any bit different than what they were used to. Right. Um, it could potentially be a problem, but. You know, I think that would be a solution that that I would have other people look at. And then I, I know hosted that, exchange is a good thing, though. I've I've yeah. considered moving our email to a hosted exchange server uh, for a lot of reasons. It you know works actually works better with with Apple stuff than Google does, which is you know yeah it, well it, yes yeah, it's supposed to. Right. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, I've had I've had some wonky issues. Now, now, granted, uh, Gmail and Apple Mail did not play nice at all, and in in my experience, still aren't playing nice with no. with Mavericks. They're they're playing better. It's better. Uh, but they're they're not playing nice yet. Oh. Um, the the other area I kind of want to touch with you on uh, is is storage because um, Matt Geekab was one of the first podcasts that really started preaching the backup, backup, backup. Uh, and I think that's why I, I hopped so uh, hard on board with the backup train at, at, at you know fairly early, and but I know you you play with a whole lot of different you get to play with a lot of toys, Dave. So I I just want to no. you know come hang out at your house and meet the UPS guy sometime. But, I call um, him Santa. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I know you've played with a lot of different storage stuff and and probably still are from. Um, you know, just just using internal storage on your computer and having all kind of external devices, and then Drobos and transporters and and Synologies and all of that. Where does your data live right now, and and, and how are you managing that? Yeah. Um, so my the place where my data lives is a function of sort of how I got to that point of things working. Uh, I obviously had my data before I got into NAS drives or anything. My data was on my Mac and a series of, of firewire drives stacked on top of one another. Um, and then I had, I, I was actually using a tape backup with retrospect for years uh, until I finally started using time machine. And then, you know, it sort of iterated past that. And I use time machine some now, but crash plan also, you know, for various things. But once I, um, it was the Drobo FS that really kind of opened my eyes to the idea of, wow, you can have this device on your network that you can throw all of your data at, especially like all your media, your music, your movies, their pictures, all this stuff that just takes up a lot of space that you don't need super fast access to. Although now things on the network are way fast, but at the time it was like, yeah, I don't need this right next to me all the time. It just needs to live somewhere that I can touch it. And and then inside the box is a CPU that can do some interesting things. It can act as an iTunes server because, hey, your music happens to be there. It can act as a movie server because, hey, your movies happen to be there. So that that concept really resonated with me. And, and I got I got really into it. And uh, and then Drobo kind of um, th- there were some management changes there and some some corporate changes there. They started moving more into enterprise. Thankfully, they're kind of refocusing back on the home user now or the, the, I should say the, yeah, the home and small business user. 
But um, yeah, it's because the the old management came back. Right, the old <laughs> so management's they, back. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, so I got I kind of got burned by the Drobo FS when when that that regime change happened. And I was really frustrated because I got sold on the concept, but it never really delivered. I mean, there were some apps on the FS, but there's actually it, the FS is better supported now when it's basically a, an end of life product than it was when it was like a, a th- supposedly a thriving product. But again, that was the, the whole management thing over there. But but the concept really, really stuck with me. And it was finally a Mac Keycap listener that said, hey, you know, I know you kind of moan about how this doesn't quite do what you want it to do. You should check out the Synology stuff. And this was a couple of years ago. And Synology totally took Drobo's, you know, roadmap and actually implemented it years before the, the, the right management came back to Drobo and started doing the same there. And so, um, so I, I, you know, I was smitten the the first time I I was like, really, somebody did this. How did I, how did I not know? And, uh, so my data now lives, uh, most of it, uh, on on the network side lives on, uh, a, a Synology disk station and that runs my Plex server that runs my, uh, it, 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 does a crash plan server. Um, I've got, I've got an iTunes server on there that I use. Sometimes my music lives there that my Sonos is point to. Uh, and so they read it over the network. So my Mac doesn't necessarily need to be awake to uh, access that. They also have their own kind of iTunes in the cloud, iTunes match style thing that I can stream music to my uh, iPhone anywhere on the planet. Uh, it doesn't matter where I am as long as I have internet. So, so that's where most of my kind of media data lives. But, you know, I will say, um, just so people don't get the wrong idea, the Drobo 5N would do about 90% of that uh, as well. Yeah, that's, so, yeah. that's what I'm running, and I'm yeah. doing most of that with, with Plex, and I've got crash pulling going on yeah. there. So I've been, I've been pretty happy. But you're right, just, just having a pot of storage, there's a great, and I'm running Time Machine off that too, by the way, but just yeah. having this pot of storage and not having to figure out is it on this drive? Is it on that drive? Is it on right. the other drive? Yeah. And, and just actually, you know, because I, I still back up my Drobo because I'm, I'm still a believer of despite the redundancy, it's still a single point of failure. You well, know, if you get is, that power surge or you get something else. But Yeah, well, you know, if if nothing else, the data on your Drobo only exists there once. Yes, if a drive fails, your data still is intact. Um, but if you delete something from it, it is gone. There is nothing right, protecting right. against you doing something stupid or, you know, otherwise regretful. So, yeah, you need to have a backup. Absolutely. I'm but but it's it's easy because it's it's one thing that you're backing up, preferably to multiple places. But, you know, you don't have yeah. to go, okay, did I back up this drive? Did I back up that drive? Am I... Am I going to all these things? So, yeah. okay. and, and, and at our house, and I'm sure you have this too, Dave, like your wife has a laptop. My kids have laptops yep. and they don't have a lot of space. A lot of these new, you know, Macs come with these small SSDs and it's not just a pot of storage for me, but it's a pot of storage for the whole family. So sitting around with them one evening and kind of teaching them how to get onto the Drobo and how to find, this is the media folder. If there's any movie you want on your laptop, and it, it and we have it in the family catalog. It's going to be here. You can copy it right from there. And uh, I have almost no maintenance requirements now because my kids are able to get what they want and they don't have to come bug me about it. And it's all in one place. Yeah, right. It, oh, it's really great. Yeah. And Plex made that uh, way easier for me. You know, we would before a trip, we would 
you know, the kids would be like, oh, I want this movie. So I'd have to convert it. And even though it was all stored there, it was, there was no easy non-geek way of getting it from the pot of storage to their iPad to watch on the plane uh, that they could do themselves. So Plex solved that for us. I, I think it, Plex has gone at some point in the last like six months, it's gone from being kind of like a geek you know, fixation to just like a thing. It's like yeah. people just do Plex now. And I talk to people who aren't even geeks who are running Plex servers. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Cause, because you, you have all this media. It, it, it's the only thing, you know, Apple's system is so closed that it makes it near impossible to manage things just from your Mac. And certainly if you, uh, if you're remote, like, you know, I, I mean, I tell the story of how I was in a hotel room and thought, well, I got to go to sleep. And then in the morning I wake up and I'm going to get on a plane and I'm sort of done with my trip and want to sort of chill out on the plane and don't want to do any work. So I want to watch this one movie, but I don't have it with me, but it is on my, you know, Drobo or, or, or disc station back at the house. If you're in the Apple ecosystem and using iTunes to get movies onto your iPad, you're screwed. At that point, I mean, without a lot of work, you know, and with, with Plex, I just went into Plex and I said, I want this movie, uh, download. And then I went to sleep. And by the time I woke up, it was there. Yeah. So you're in, this is what I need help with. Cause I'm, I'm using Plex, but I haven't subscribed yet. And I'm not real clear what the subscription gives me. And I think you just hit it. And that's what it does. Because yeah. if I'm, if I'm, let's say, at my parents' house on Wi-Fi, or if I'm at the office and I have Wi-Fi, not that I would ever watch video at the office, but um, if I'm somewhere else and I have a pretty good Wi-Fi connection, I can stream reasonably well, um, not great necessarily, but from the the Drobo that's sitting in, in my house. And yeah. it, it's decent because, but, you know, keep in mind, it's it's going through the Drobo, it's going through my home internet connection, then it's going through, you know, whatever internet connection of where I am. But that, that breaks down pretty quickly if you know you're on uh, 3G or if you're on a hotel Wi-Fi that's that's bogged down or something like that. So what does that subscription piece give you? It that lets allows you, you download. to do that. It it, okay. it lets you sync the content to your device for offline viewing. I mean that that's the biggest thing. It also gets you other things like like software updates and and for example, today I just downloaded a new version of Plex uh, for the disk station, but it's out for the Drobo too. Um that do, that will allow uh, kind of all the background tasks that the, the Plex does sort of on its own schedule. You can actually schedule those now. So it's not trying to, to you know, especially on our NAS units, which have sort of, they're great CPUs for NAS units, but they're really limited for Plex. So you kind of want to schedule your, you know, your, your maintenance stuff for when you're not going to be using your network drive for other things. And you can do all that, which is, which is great. So you get, you get access to that stuff. Um, and the sinking, but the sinking is the big one and it's like 30 yeah. bucks a year. Yeah. Or you can buy it for like $79 for life for or life. something. Yep. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then there's something, there's something now where you can download your videos to your cloud storage. And now that Google has upped their cloud storage, um, that could be a bigger deal. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Plex cloud sync or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good stuff. And it just, and, and it just works. It's a little clunky sometimes, but you know, it it works. You'd say sync this and if you give it enough time to sync and download it, it does. And that's that. It's a lot less clunky than it was just a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. And a lot less clunky than Apple's current solution. You know, it's it's funny. It's frustrating. Apple 
has, I mean, they control everything. And yet iTunes is this major source of sadness. It just doesn't work the way we all work with our computers in our home. And I don't just mean us geeks, but people with multiple computers in their house, of which there are many, can't have a shared iTunes library. How crazy is that? Yeah. Yeah. And Dave, so I anyway. bet you figured out I bet you figured out how to get your TiVo shows while you're gone on vacation on your plug so you can watch them on the plane on your way back. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not that I mean that's so yeah, C TiVo is is the current app of choice and you right. can and you can have C TiVo basically get season passes to your shows and it will automatically uh, convert them when it finds them and save them to the right directory. And as long as you save them to a folder that your Plex knows about, your Plex will react immediately and, and index them and, and make them available to you. Yeah. I just figured that out. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's good stuff. I, th- I think I need to watch more TV. I, it's hard for me to get excited about that stuff because I just don't watch enough shows. Yeah. Well, we didn't say we were actually going to watch it. It's just the idea of, we can do this. Right. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that. just the the fact that you have the content available to you. Yeah. It's more about that. Now, now what's interesting is I guess I don't know. I mean, my kids to a degree, you know, with movies they like that. With music they, you know, they're totally happy with their subscription stuff. But um but with movies they yeah, That's a whole other conversation. It's a whole other I mean, conversation. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it is weird though because subscription music is a real thing. People are really, I know a lot of people who just have given up on buying music. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. What about you? Are, 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 like Chris Breen, I know, writes about this stuff a lot. But are, are, do, you, uh, do you use subscription services or, or go on iTunes and buy music? What do, what do you do when you want to buy music? I have. Or get access to it? Yeah. So, you know, we have Spotify. If I could cancel it and be, be fine, but if I canceled it right now, uh, within about, and my kids are asleep, mind you, at this point in time. But but if I canceled it right now, somehow they'd wake up and find out, and my phone would ring in about ten seconds, uh, and they'd scream and yell that Spotify wasn't working. So uh, so we keep a Spotify subscription, and it's handy. You know, if I need to, it's super. It has replaced um, uh, LimeWire and Nutella and all those you know file sharing things that I would use as a as a musician. Somebody calls me up and says, uh, "I need you to play this gig." We're going to be playing general business tunes and general business being, you know, kind of the classic rock, you know, repertoire. And I might recognize, you know, if there's they throw me a list of 30 songs and I recognize 27 of them, like, okay, well, these what are these other three? I would just go and listen to them on LimeWire. And I know that's wrong and all that, but that's just how it works. Um, And uh, and now I I, I use Spotify for that. It's totally handy for that because it's right at your fingertips. It's like real easy. Good to go. I don't have to go out and buy a whole album to, you know, to get all that stuff, uh, obviously. So. Does Spotify now have like the family subscription nope. or do you all have to share one account? We have to share one account uh, with if we're playing it through our Sonos, we can have three distinct uh, and discrete streams from Spotify playing um, on Sonos at any one point in time. But otherwise, yeah, no, we have to, you know, we have to share it and manage it that way. But yeah. it works out. Yeah, it's fine. Beats has the family subscription, which is good. Yeah, I think they're all going to head that way at some point because it's just becoming such a thing. Spotify wants to do it. They've wanted to do it for a while. Their infrastructure is not built to do that. It's a major change for them under the hood. So 
I think that's why we haven't seen it. And, and then there's the, the whole issue as to how are the musicians doing that? And every once in a while, I see somebody post, some musician post something to the internet about how much money they made off, you know, selling music through iTunes or, you know, Amazon versus how much they made from the streaming services. And it always seems like the streaming services are paying them very, very little money. Yep. But, you know, here's the thing, and and I'm a musician and I am sensitive to the starving artist and all of that, but I think there is a dose of reality that needs to settle in here. Consumers find that there is value paying $10 a month for a Spotify subscription. If people came in, if Spotify said, well, in order to uh, feed the starving artist, we now need to charge you $40 a month for a Spotify subscription. People would go back to pirating music. Yeah. You know, so, and, and it's, it, it is a reality of the business. There just isn't as nearly as much money in the, this record sales side of it as there is in the touring side of it. Now, I mean, that's where bands are actually making their money is going out on the road and playing music and entertaining people. And, uh, and it, it has flipped, you know, it used to be, it, well, bands always made their money that way, but, but the, the labels would make tons and tons of money off of selling music. Now the labels have these 360 deals with their artists where they're, the labels are making money off of the band's touring because it's the only place that there's money being made. You know, the merchandise, everything, it's all a package now. Uh, and there's just simply less money. Certainly there's artists that are, you know, the, the, the one-offs that are making you know, the exceptions to the rule. They're just making oodles of money on, on uh, record sales, but, uh, or royalties, I should say. But, um, but for the most part, no, it's, you got to go out and earn your money kind of like the rest of us, just, you know, more per hour. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. It is, uh, interesting to see where this is all going. I, I know that just observing my kids and, and a lot of people younger than myself, that they're totally down with subscription services where part of me just wants to own it. Yeah, but that, I, I, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm with, I'm right there with you, but I think that mentality only exists because it's what was ingrained in us as kids. Yeah. I think. But, and the, but then when you think about it, it, $10 a month, that's like what one trip to Starbucks these days. Yeah, I much. mean, it's not that much money. <laughs> no, it's not. If you like music. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just get to listen to music all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Well, Dave, I, we know that you've got a another commitment tonight, and we've been going on for over an hour and a half now. But uh, but this is fun. Anything anything you can think of we didn't cover, or maybe we'll just have to have you back. I could think of a zillion things we didn't cover, but I think we went through all the fun stuff, so that's good. All right. Well, we'll just have you back later to talk about all the boring stuff. Sounds like no. We'll come up with more fun stuff between now and then. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like an even better plan. Uh, so. So where can people find you? What's, what's, the, what's the best place to direct people to these days? Uh, you, you know, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Dave Hamilton. That's probably a great place to start. Uh, I'm pretty attentive when people fi- try to find me and talk to me there. So that's, that's one place. Or uh, MacGeekGab.com will get you right to the podcast. You can subscribe or even just play right there in your browser and, and, uh, and get a taste of what John and I do. And if you like it, you can subscribe. Yeah, and, and let me tell you, if you like Mac Power users, I I strongly suspect that you will like Mac Geek Gab. For for whatever reason, Dave, I I tend to binge on your shows, and I'll I'll save them up, and then I'll listen to, you know, several at a time. And I I like to do that when I'm on vacation or when I've got long road trips, and and you and John keep me company. So it, it's funny how we get into habits with those types of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people do exactly what you what you described there, which is great. 
That's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we talked about a lot of cool stuff in the show, and we'll have links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. You can find those at 5by5.tv slash MPU slash 185. Sorry, I knew we had a name there. 185. Uh, <laughs> or at com. And uh, welcome back to JT, who's doing our, our show notes again for us. And, and we certainly appreciate everything that he does for us. And uh, you can find us at MacPowerUsers.com. You can send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Sparky. All right. Dave Hamilton, thank you again, and we will see you all next time. Thanks for having me.